This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by the Kingsridge Elderberries, QP Goat Soap, Backwards Planning Financial, Tiny Bibles, and by our supporters at Patreon.com. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 Contemporary examples are almost endless. The principle is that Christian parents must provide their children with a biblical education. The methods vary. Homeschooling, Christian private school, co-ops, internet tutorials, etc. The principle is that Christian mothers must feed their children. Methods vary. Schedule feeding or not, bottle feeding or not, etc. The principle is that we are to be good stewards of our bodies. The methods vary. Workout or not, jog or not, eat salted grease or not, etc. Excerpt from Principles and Methods, a blog post on Monday, November 24, 2008, by Pastor Douglas Wilson. Welcome back to Bright Hearth, Q&A number two. I'm thinking about how spicy I want to be about this one. That's why I was oh, hesitating. Oh, boy. What do, you, what do you mean spicy, babe? Nothing. <laughs> Are you spicy? You're so spicy. I'm, I'm not going to. Well, welcome back, everybody. not be spicy. <laughs> you're sweet. You're, you're sweet, babe. So... Of course, Brian and Lexi here. Blah blah blah. Hi, you know, that was well, a horrible Welcome. intro. This we is just our immediately... second episode tonight. So yeah, we're episode stacking here, recording two at once. So we actually just got done recording last week's episode. I'm not good at starting over, as if we never started before. So like, not it's hard to pretend like you Correct. haven't already done all this. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, babe. So we'll cut right to the chase here. We've got a great question. It's in a wheelhouse of ours that we've thought quite a bit about. That we, Lexi and I ourselves, have gone back and forth. We've um, <laughs> sometimes. Total opposite ends of the spectrum from one another. <laughs> yeah, we have. And we've come to great unity now. So, it, And it's a very important question. It, it, it's one that has, I think, great great import for how you live your life and what your plans are going to be and all sorts of issues. So here's the question. Listener writes, if it is a father's duty to raise children in the paideia of Christ, and they're citing Ephesians 6.4 that Lexi mm-hmm. uh, read, which is, fathers raise your children in the paideia and nuthesia of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and don't provoke them to wrath. So they say, if it's a father's duty to do that, then why do you send your kids to a school? Wouldn't homeschool make more sense? And this is a great question. Before we explain why we do that and why we are 100% pro-school, like we love schools, we want to see more Christian schools started. Not only did we start a Christian school in our community, but we wanted to start that Christian school and build it out in such a way that it might inspire, encourage, and resource other churches. Yeah, we want to there that. to be more Christian institutions. We're yes. pro-Christian institution. Pro-Christian institutions, pro-school. But before we do that, let me just point back to what Pastor Wilson said in the cold open. Principles and methods, okay? We all agree that, well, we should, that, that Christian parents owe their children a Christian education. We would take the position, I don't think it's, it's uh, that... I, I was about to say I don't think it's that controversial. It's actually highly controversial. But we don't take we take the position that it Christians are not free to send their kids to the government schools. No. That that's it, barring weird circumstances or whatever your asterisk. That normatively it's not acceptable for Christians to send their children to public schools given the state of everything that we're in and use that as a vehicle for their education. Mm-hmm. We believe that. Christian parents, because of passages like Ephesians 6-4 and other ones, like in Luke, where Jesus says that a student, when he is fully trained, will become like his teacher. So there's a principle that if I apply it, do I want little Johnny 
to become like secular humanist sociology teacher Dr. Jenkins over here. Absolutely not. Yeah. So we agree there. <laughs> what? I'm just like the the average American Christian is so historically ignorant that we don't even know what the public education system is for. We don't know what model it's based on. We don't know what that model was for. Where it came from. Yeah. Like we don't. So we just think, oh, yeah, they're just going to go learn their ABCs from someone who's really good at teaching ABCs. And it's like, no, you don't understand. They wanted to create soldiers out of your children. Did you know that? Did you you know that they actually believe that the system should come before the child? Do you think the child should come or the system first? <laughs> do, you, do you think you could unpack a little bit of that for us? Well, just like some of the <sighs> the basic boilerplate history yeah. of what the public schools are trying to do and, and how they got there. And putting you completely on the spot. This is very but. hard to not. Yeah, it's it is kind of hard to answer that question because there's so many ways you could go about it. But uh, I mean, like largely a lot of our American models may based on like German education do you guys know it came from Germany? <laughs> Do you guys remember Hitler? <laughs> like there, there, there really are systems of education still in place today that were actively just trying to pump out soldiers to accomplish the government's will, essentially. And then you could even look at it from um, like Marxist socialism perspective, the long march through the institutions. Yeah. They're trying to disciple your child into a very specific picture of something. Everything was a little bit better before the teaching colleges came to being, but the teaching colleges is specifically when it went from before the teaching colleges existed. You did, if you wanted to be a teacher, you just kind of, you know, studied whatever you wanted to teach. If you wanted to be a history teacher, you taught, you studied history. If you wanted to be a math teacher, you studied math. Teaching colleges came about. And basically they just started mass experiments in these teaching colleges. Literally that's what it was. They were with pedagogy. Correct. And with curriculum. the methods, the methods in the classroom, it was all experimental. Let's see what, what is I'm trying to think of some specific examples that would, you guys would actually know Montessori was not in a teaching college, but it would be an example of let's do an experiment of Montessori in this teaching college. So you get one childhood and if it's a bad experiment, you've screwed the kid up essentially, which is why I think it's harmful. But the teaching colleges is where they were literally actively saying, we're going to start teaching these sorts of godless doctrine. We're going to do away with the parental authority. We're going to do child center type stuff. We're going to start teaching Marxist socialist doctrine. What happened was you no longer just studied what you wanted to teach. You then had to study the tools of education. Mm-hmm. So now if you become a teacher, typically you have to have some sort of uh, at least a bachelor's degree in education, early childhood development, something like that. And you learn the tools of educating people because what you're educating them with is a doctrine of X, Y, Z. You're no longer teaching the subject anymore, which is a huge, 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 huge difference. So teaching colleges are wicked. Progressives. I mean, I could keep going. (laughs) Progressives basically saw that the school was going to be an ideal institutional vehicle for promulgating their worldview. And since they take a very long view of history, Mm -hmm. they understand that they don't need to win tomorrow. They just need to win the institution that will win tomorrow. And that's true. That's the thing that Christians need to realize is that is true. And because that's true, you better be giving them a Christian education. Put a pin in that thought because we're going to bring that back up. They understood that. So, I mean, there was even a talk at Grace Agenda this year. I can't remember who gave it, unfortunately, 
But the, the premise of the talk was basically demonstrating how from the late 19th century through the first half of the 20th century especially, there was an intentional move where the progressives, they wrote out, they wrote treatises on what I'm they were doing. I'm going to look it up because he wrote a book about it yeah. and it's it was really a good talk. So he was basically saying the progressives, they told everybody what they were going to do and then they did it. So it's not a mystery. This isn't like tinfoil hat speculation. We just don't know our history. Exactly. And what they were basically saying they were going to do is replace Protestant Christianity as the engine of the civil religion of the United States with a, a, a basically a nationalistic American Americana civil religion. This is when the Pledge of Allegiance was big. This is the whole like where you see classroom with the chalkboard and all the things like that classroom picture is basically from this whole model where what they were trying to do was replace the cultural center of America from Protestant Christianity and replace it with a sort of humanist civil religion. If you're not there, then we'd want to win you. There are books we could recommend to you, but we'd want to win you to that principle of Christian education. The The questioner today, though, they're, they're asking basically, okay, we all agree on that. It's the father's duty to raise children in the Paideia and the Nuthesia of Christ, Ephesians 6, 4. So why would you then go and send your kids to a school? Because the command is, it's, it's locating the duty of Christian education in the home in the, the, the household. That's the sphere of authority that it lands in. The children belong to the parents in this world and they, in this realm, and parents have a duty to provide their children with this education. But then Brian and Lexi, you start a school and you send your kids out of your home every day or Monday through Friday to a school where they're taught by other people. And so how do we square that? How do you, wouldn't homeschooling make more sense wouldn't homeschooling be the obvious thing to do in light of that command and not schooling? How do you justify schooling? Discover the gentle touch of QP goat soap. That's right. She said goat soap. Introducing QP goat soap, a Christian homeschooling family owned business with a great story behind it. One that really captures the heart of what we're all about here on Bright Hearth. For Quinn Pittman's ninth birthday, he convinced his parents to get him a pair of Nigerian dwarf goats, known for their sweet and creamy milk. Quinn not only excelled at caring for his small flock, it's since grown. Now an enterprising 16-year-old, Quinn and his family makes high-quality soaps that will leave your skin feeling soft and silky smooth from the increase of his herd. Head over to QPGoatSoap.com or tap on the link in the description of this episode to pick up a pack of his handcrafted soap today. Available in men's, women's, seasonal scents, and more, you'll love this family-owned business. And even better, use the code BRIGHT10 at checkout for a discount on your order. You can find that code in the description as well. That's right, and that code is all lowercase, BRIGHT10, B-R-I-G-H-T-1-0, at checkout for a discount on your order. tinybibles.com makes the smallest printed Bible on the market. It's the size of a key fob, and you can take it with you anywhere and everywhere. Young eyes can read Tiny Bible without the aid of magnification, but it comes with a glass lens to assist all ages. As we head into the holidays, Tiny Bible makes a perfect gift for your pastor or loved one, and it's a conversation starter in witnessing. Tiny Bible is highly concealable from tyrannical governments and can be smuggled into some tight places. Order yours today at tinybibles.com. That's tinybibles.com, and you can find that link, as always, in the description below. Yeah, and more specifically, like I was telling you, I often hear people say, 
Christians have always homeschooled. Yeah, so some some history here is actually probably helpful because first, you have to understand that in terms of formal education, number one, universal education is not the the norm historically. It wasn't until after the Protestant Reformation um, when you have some Protestant theologians specifically and educational practitioners. I actually think it was the guy who initially argued for this successfully was also the author of the first textbook. I found the book. Yeah, tell us. It's called Battle for the American Mind. It's by Pete Hegseth, and it's with David Goodwin. And we heard David Goodwin speak at Grace Agenda. And it's similar. I took a class from Classical U that was a similar book that I'll keep searching for while you're talking. But this one sounded very, very, very good. And this one... Yeah, it was super good and super helpful. Again, like thinking historically, if you come back to the the idea of universal education, where like all men, women, and like all all girls and boys of every class should be educated for a for a large part of history, people the people who would have received what we consider an education would have been nobility and clergy, primarily. There are other categories, but that would be a the main bulk of education. So when you think about things like classical education, or in the ancient world, if you trace the classical tradition, most of it is built on texts that are designed for teaching the children of nobility or for clergy. Because those would have been the learned classes. Those would have been, they, and so a lot of it's devoted to learning how to you know, rule in court, uh, learn rhetoric. That's why a lot that heavy emphasis on, on language and words is so prevalent in, mm. in the history of classical education. Well, then come the Protestant uh, Reformation, and Protestant educational theorists started to say, well, hang on, we have this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And if we apply that, then it would imply to us that Christians generally ought to have some basic level of universal education so that they can Mm -hmm. access the scriptures directly, so that they can, you know, we're a priesthood of all believers. So it it was a Protestant move that brought universal education more broadly. And and that's why American educational ethos from very early, we see even before the Declaration of Independence in the 17th century American colonies and the early uh, settlement of the Americas by Christian Protestants, was they actually began to pass laws that required communities to establish schooling once a community passed a certain number of households. One of those was called the Old Deluder Satan Act, and it was it was basically saying Satan wants to deceive our children, so they need to be able to read, access the scriptures. So when a community passes, I think it's 50 households, they have to establish a school in their community for the education of the children. And then you you see universal education really take root in, the, in uh, America, essentially in a, in a Protestant way. And even then, you can see that the way that they initially reached to do that was through schooling was through schoolhouses. Much education, of course, has always happened in the home, parents teaching children. But there is a strong legacy and tradition of schools. In fact, you could you could even say that wherever Christianity has gone historically, schools, yeah. schools have followed. Yeah. This the monastery sco- schools, the uh, you you can look through. I mean, I I gave a sermon on this once and I listed out examples stretching all the way back from very early Christian times through the modern age. Wherever Christians have gone, they've started schools. So this is a good question. Why do we think schools are acceptable 
forms of education, given Ephesians 6.4. And uh, do you have any thoughts on that initially? I mean, because that's where I was at one point, was that that was not acceptable because Ephesians says, mm-hmm. you know, the father, um, even though I, it's so silly because I was still okay with the mom being the one homeschooling though. Uh-huh. <laughs> so inconsistent, but that example, I think, I don't know where you got that Doug quote from the beginning, but that was what convinced me was that quote was like, oh yeah, my husband's responsible to feed the kids, but I go to Costco. Yeah. My husband's responsible to take care of us, but I clean the house. Like, there are different ways that parents provide those things for their parents, for, for their kids. They have to provide it. It's a duty. Yes. But there are different tools that they can bring into it. And yeah, and I just started to see some of the inconsistencies. Well, then why are some people okay with online tutoring? Why yeah. are some people okay with a textbook? Why why is a parent not the only one, like literally the parent, the only resource of yeah. teaching? So I just had to start asking myself other questions, I guess, and seeing the inconsistencies. Yeah, that's the first principle to show that you're not violating that passage, is that many passages of Scripture function this way, where they give a duty to somebody with authority and responsibility. Say, um, a, a, a father has the duty a man has to provide for his household. If he doesn't, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he needs to make sure that they have the basic necessities of life, clothing, food, etc., shelter, that doesn't mean that the father must build the house, grow all the food, and cook all the food. No, correct. He must not spin all the yarn. Yes. So the father needs to oversee and deploy resources and deputies to ensure that that provision is happening. Uh, this is mediated authority, where a father has an oversight role, and then he is to deploy wise use of resources to accomplish the task. So homeschoolers do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Homeschoolers largely do the same thing, unless the father is directly doing all the teaching, The father sees that command, and so the father wisely, knowing his time to provide, must be often spent outside of the home, especially in our culture. Mm -hmm. But even in that culture as well, um, the father couldn't directly provide all the education himself. And so he deploys his wife to homeschool the children, and then she goes one step further, and she goes and studies, or hopefully they together come to curricular decisions, Mm -hmm. and they get some good curriculum, they get pedagogy, they say, this is how we're going to do it. Then they bring in experts in in all these different fields of math and science and history, and they vet them, and they make sure that they're good resources, and then they deploy all these specialists to teach their children. Mm -hmm. So just because it's a textbook doing it, or just because it's a wife doing it at the father's instruction, doesn't mean it's not still a mediated accomplishing of the task. So when when we look at schools, what's happening is that the father is raising his children up in the Paideia and the Nuthesia of the Lord by making sure in the same way that he picked curriculum and have his wife teach, he is ensuring that the school that he's sending his children to is going to raise them up in the Paideia of Christ in, in a mediated way, and they're functioning in loco parentis, which just means that they're functioning in place of the parent for that time, where he has given them delegated authority to take care of this aspect and he's going to oversee it. He's not going to check out. He's not just going to drop off and not care. Those would all be ways of failing to do this or vet the school properly or be involved. Oh, yeah. But he's actually giving the classroom, the teacher, the headmaster, a certain level of authority to act in his mm-hmm. place, to act mm-hmm. in his authority, his delegated authority. Mm-hmm. Same as hiring a tutor, like you said. And so that, that's my defense. That's an initial defense of why it's not a sin to, to send your children 
to a good Christian school is because we do this all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a normal thing. Yeah. That, that Christians do to accomplish God's commandments. We, we use delegated authority. In general, I think that this is a good pattern to understand how a headship of a husband in his home is to work, is that he has headship in his home, but his wife is also the manager. She's the Waco despot, Titus 2. And so he is going to set the mission together with his wife for the home, but he is the ultimate mission-setting authority in the home in obedience to Christ. And then he deploys his wife and and sometimes other resources as well to ma- to make sure the household is pointed that direction, mm-hmm. right? And he's not sinning. He's not giving headship to his wife to say, "No, you manage the budget. You you know you go and buy the food. You go and discipline kids when I'm not there." Like all of that is still uh, his authority being exercised through trusted guardians. The problem with public schools is that they are not trustworthy guardians. And there are some <laughs> Christian schools. Right, and there are some Christian <laughs> schools, too, that are not giving, they're not doing their duty with excellence. They're they're not guardians who are going to raise children in the paideia of Christ. They're going to give them the paideia of Yeah, they don't Caesar. have a Christian worldview that they're imparting to the students. Yeah. So, so that's the basic defense of why it's not a sin. What are some of the reasons that someone might prefer a school over a homeschool given the option. Again, principles, methods, homeschooling is great. We have a lot of homeschoolers in our church, but there is a reason that we started a school, not a homeschool co-op, and it's because we think that there are some key things that schools can do better than homeschooling. Yeah, two things. One is really unique to us is that I saw youth speaking pastorally because I would gladly homeschool tomorrow if I had to. I mean, it would be hard, but I would still, like I have a heart for homeschooling is what I'm saying. I, I love it. I love reading. I love reading with the kids to talk, talking about reading with the kids. But you kind of told me one night, like Lexi, you don't realize I'm thinking pastorally about this. I'm thinking about how can I help the families that are not as well equipped as we are to do this. And that's when I realized, and I'm not saying every family needs to be thinking this way, but this was my experience was I was being selfish with wanting what I wanted. And I didn't want anyone else. I didn't want to help anyone else out essentially. And I realized for the long-term health of our church, it was a better option for us to have a school option. I'm not saying everyone had to do it. No, and everyone does I have tons of good friends that don't have their kids in the school. But I realized, oh, my husband is seeing a need that he is required to help meet, and he's trying to answer that with wisdom. Um, the second thing is that exact situation of like, there just are families that are first-generation families for whatever reason, intellect, time, finances, just couldn't give their kids a good education. And it really would be a kindness to them to have a school. It just is. Like, that's plain yeah. and simple. Those were two big things. I mean, the the thing that sealed the deal for me, though, was post-millennialism. <laughs> because I realized there are going to be more Christian institutions one day. I am pro-Christian institution, so I better be pro-institution right here, right now in Ogden. <laughs> yeah. And that was really convicting to me because I still, it was still like, I just want to hold on to this for me. And even in that, I, I don't know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying homeschool moms are idolatrous, but I am saying there can become a mom-centeredness in homeschool that is very dangerous. And if a father is not aware of it and actively discouraging that, especially as the boys get older, that can be a problem. And so there, there was a lot of stripping away of that for me to get to a place. But like I said, yeah. I would, and we, we, you know, there have been times we have said each child each year, 
we need to decide because yeah. there have been certain needs that our family has had to deal with that we've been like, okay, we might be homeschooling for a season and we're okay with that. And yeah, totally. that's just the reality of educating humans. They have different needs. So it might be yeah. ideal for a season for this. It might be ideal season for that. But I think moving the ball down the field culturally, having a cohesive canon, which is what the canon was, by the way, <laughs> the canon meaning the curriculum of books like the the classics and whatnot. Yeah, the body that, of literature so that would the shape word the curriculum. curriculum was like a circuit that you would run around, like a think of a racetrack, walking yeah. a track. That's what the curriculum was. It was a, a round of books that you would go through to become an educated person. And adhering to that on a large scale moves a culture forward quickly. But when you have this family over here doing unschooling, this family over here doing like board game schooling, this family over here doing Logos schooling, this family over here doing Charlotte Mason, but it's AO, it's not the CMI. Like there's no cohesiveness in some ways. Yes, there's a lot of overlap. I understand that guys, but it's, it's a different situation than total adherence to cultural values. That's going to change. I mean, we've seen it. Yeah. We've seen kids within a matter of weeks, like totally different people from when they walked into the school. Yeah. There's a, there's a, an illustration that I often come to, which is that when I look at communities that have a school, a good solid school somewhere in the middle of it versus communities that are largely homeschooling. Um, I've, I've noted generally that the school communities can tend to develop more like a redwood because they're all eating from the same food. They're being shaped by the same cultural canon. They're sharing experiences socially, parents and teachers and students all together they're all coming together daily, like for a chapel, for a matins service or mm -hmm. uh, prayer. You know, there's lots of that kind of thing going on. And then they tend to grow up like a redwood tree. And then they branch off in lots of different directions. And mm -hmm. everybody's different. Pe children are persons. You know, as Charlotte Mason says, they're growing out in lots of different directions into their, you know, their creation, how God made them. And I think a lot of homeschooling can tend to create kind of more a field with a lot of different, you know, there's a shrub over here and there's like a little copse of birches over there and and that's all fine. Like it's it's different. But when I look at our region and where we're at, and also the need of the day, yeah, I think one of the things Christians must do is build institutions that have cultural thickness and mm -hmm. gravity that are shaping everybody together, and and are going to have multi generational impact. Yeah, in building a coherent Christian community and culture that gives answer to every part of what it means to be human. So a Christian community, what we're trying to do in Ogden and in Weber County and, and at our church and school and our, the institutions that we're building there, we're trying to build a community that gives voice and expression for every aspect of normative human life. So it has vocational and economic side where there's businesses and there's people employing others and they're thinking economically in a Christian way. There's education happening and hopefully as it grows up, trade education and that will bleed into the vocation as well. There's marriage and, and discipline and parenting. There's recreational uh, expression. There's artistic and cultural and musical expression. There's worship. Like we're trying to think through all of these different aspects of what it means to be a human because Christ came to save whole people and build a culture that is uh, has a very strong gravity to keep people and and not force them out to go and have some human need met where they don't have to go out and be like, well, now we need job training. So we've got to go out of state or now we need education. So we've got to go to the public school. It's like, no, no, no. 
Christian community, we, we're a city on a hill. We've we got can, you covered. <laughs> we can do the, the whole economy of, yeah. of human living here in the middle. And um, so, so that's a big reason. I think another thing you said that was, was really big for my thinking on this and how I came to be convinced of a school is specialization. When you think about the difference between a mom who is trying to do, with us to be six grades right now, mm-hmm. well, soon, six grades, of different stages of children in the home. And you're trying to do, you know, at some point you'd be doing a, you'd have a junior higher. Oh, I see. What you'd you're have saying. a fourth grader and a first grader. And so you're, and then you'd have some people learning reading. So you're teaching reading to the preschool kids. You're doing first grade here, fourth grade here, junior high here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what can tend to happen is that A, you still have to call in specialists. Mm-hmm. You still have to call in tutors or textbooks or something yep. like that. So you're still, it's not the father doing it, or it's the mother through tutors and textbooks. Mm-hmm. But then what tends to happen is that by the time she is actually trained in doing all of that, that's when her kids are all gone. Because <laughs> she's now done it all. As opposed to, we're trying to build a state of affairs where we have some men in our upper year school, we're trying to keep a male influence there, who are teaching third form, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade for years. Yeah. And they become an expert in teaching seventh, eighth, and ninth. Well, <laughs> or third, fourth, and fifth. Kevin or, listens to this. He knows us. He's going to laugh. But it used to be that you couldn't be a headmaster until you taught every single grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that makes that makes sense. So that you could you understood you had the wisdom for the yeah. And it, and and the thing is, Kevin does. Step yeah, he did. I, to I, every grade. I've actually thought of that. He does. Um, he's had to do that because of our yeah. model. But in a matured culture where we're three generations in. That would absolutely be one mm-hmm. things we'd consider. Yeah. Have they demonstrated competency in teaching all the ages? So there's a there's a difference. There's a reason that homes don't produce every aspect of the economy of life. Mm-hmm. Like where you don't say we need uh, silverware, so we have to start a forge and a blacksmith shop mm-hmm. in the back. And oh, we need pigs, so now we have to raise pigs, and we want maple syrup, so we have to go tap the trees. No, people have always specialized because this yeah. is the world God made. It is where you have a guy who's like his thing is going to be spending sixty years becoming so good at forging metal objects that are needed in the home, Hor- mm-hmm. horseshoes to silverware to whatever. Yeah, you think about how God built the temple. Yeah, He gave people a spirit of skill. Yeah, <laughs> to do a specific thing. So specialization is very good. Yeah. And until you experience it, it's easy to underestimate what a game changer it is. It really is. And I'm not, I'm just so grateful that I don't mean this in a snooty sort of a way, but I just never could have taught my children Greek and Latin the way my kids are learning Greek and Latin. You know, that's, I was struggling with one of them in the English language. And here he comes home (laughs) speaking two dead languages to me. Literally yeah. reading over my shoulder, and I'm like, "Why can't you read in English?" And, and <laughs> I'm you, so frustrated. And a listener might hear that and go, "Yeah, I'm great at teaching my kids Greek and Latin. Yeah. That's great." But back to one of the things you said. One reason we started the school is because of cultural, yes. the cultural benefits of institution, where we have to just recognize that not every family is going to do homeschooling well. And the yeah. reason I know, friends, is because I've seen many families do homeschooling abysmally. Yeah, and... I mean, where they're robbing their children, it, where mm-hmm. where uh, yeah. daughters end up being teachers, and by the time they're 12, they're not really being educated anymore. They're just basically it being household really servants, where people kids are completely unsupervised, and they're copying all their answers from the back of the book and end up functionally illiterate. And These are all people we knew growing up. Growing up, I mean, yeah. and people we've known recently too. Yeah. And it, it's very frustrating because th- they are robbing from the child. And I think 
I understand that not everybody's in the situation where you can have the ideal school. I do yeah, get that. Right. And I, and it's sad to me because of that. I, one day it won't be that way, but you do owe it to your children to give them the best that you possibly can. Yeah. And if, if there are ways that you can do that outside of, like I think of last year, all my doctor's appointments, our kids would have been so behind in school yeah. because of my doctor's appointments. If there's some sort of pride that you're holding on to that's preventing you from giving them more that you could give them it, within God's perimeter of allowance, yeah, you have the freedom to do it. And I think you should do it because you owe it to your kids. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tremendous it's a, good it's gift. A gift. I, that's the only word that I can think of when I think of education at St. Brendan's is I think about how thankful I am because yeah. I know God's the one doing it. It's not something yeah. that I could have orchestrated. There's a richness to it. Yes. And and even some of the things that are difficult to evaluate and put your finger on, they're not like test results or subjects you learn, but there is a cultural benefit to a body of students, and, and especially when we're very strict. We, we restrict uh, school to our membership. To be children, you have to be in, a member of the church. Your family, the family has to be a member of our church for the child to go to the school. And the teachers as well are like very vetted, and it's all very rigorous. But the result is that we have this protected sanctuary. Think mm-hmm. about the way that in nature, God ordered that you know the fish would go into this quiet backwater backwater, yeah. shallow, warm area, and that's where the babies would be born. The eggs would hatch, and there would be all the fish. They call that a sanctuary or nursery, right? The school can function like that, where there's just a sanctuary. It's like a protected nature reserve mm-hmm. for these kids to come together. Mm-hmm. And some of the things they're learning are very difficult to replicate in homeschool. Like, mm-hmm. for example, just the social dynamics of navigating a social hierarchy all of our students are going to experience, if they go from grade one to 12, being the first grader in first form, which includes grades one, two, and three in mm-hmm. the same classroom. And then they're going to experience being the third grader in first form. I know what homeschoolers are saying right now. <laughs> they're going to experience that with their siblings. I know, and I, yeah. <laughs> I, I recognize that. But there's something qualitatively different that happens when they come out and it's like, now there's headmaster love, there's pastor Burkholder. There's Mrs. Sanders. Do we actually there's... have a head boy, by the way? Are you guys just joking about that? No, we have a head boy. We do. Yeah, in the okay. upper years. I didn't. I thought they were joking about that, and no, then I was uh-uh. like, "Wait a second, there's a head boy." <laughs> and there's a head girl, and they assist. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So they're learning leadership, and they're learning how to navigate hierarchy and social setting. And you can do a lot of this in homeschool by like intro- different church settings and yeah. uh, vocational settings. And I, I get that, guys. Like it's all possible. But this is baked in where it's ready made. It's happening for all mm-hmm. the students all the time. And they're forming friendships where they're together a tremendous amount of the time uh, that are going to be lifelong. These are the people they're going to marry. These are the people they're going to start businesses with. Mm-hmm. These are the people they're going to be lifelong friends with. The high with. schoolers did start business last year. Yeah, they'll keep doing that. Like, so they'll probably be, A lot of them are going to be bad businesses too. But, <laughs> but that's how you start good businesses. You start a few bad ones. Some of them will be great too. Um, so those cultural social benefits are very, and, and I, I'm not giving into the whole like homeschoolers. What about socialization? Well, I don't want my kids to be socialized to be like your kids is the answer to the public school, to the public school thing. Like, I'm sorry. Are, I, my brain is literally shutting off. I'm having a very hard time focusing because it's late for me. And this is, this I don't is my know peak. what you're saying. I'm at peak I'm mental so time hard of day. To pay <laughs> This is the difference between Lexi and I. I'm peaking right now. You said that twice for me, not for the listener, but for me. I'm like, what? 
Did you know that fresh American black elderberries are naturally high in phosphorus, vitamin A, vitamin B6, and vitamin C, as well as many anthocyanins that serve as antioxidants? Regular supplementation with elderberry extracts has been shown to decrease chance of influenza and lessen cold duration in symptoms. The King's Ridge fresh frozen elderberries are hand-picked, de-stemmed, washed, and quickly frozen at their family farm in east-central Indiana. Their whole operation is designed around maximizing freshness and antioxidant content of their berries. Trevor and Autumn truly hope that their elderberry syrup and fresh frozen elderberries bless your family this cold and flu season. Don't buy dried European elderberries and support the global economic agenda. Visit tkrfarm.com and purchase your elderberry needs from the Kings Ridge elderberries. And that link is in the description for you. Do you desire to be shrewd financially for your family? It takes wisdom and dedication to build and pass on personal wealth as mature, responsible leaders must. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial is at your side to integrate investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach. He coaches his clients to act wisely with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on, to love our children and grandchildren well. Tap on the link to his website in the description and contact him to get started. Or visit him directly at backwardsplanningfinancial.com. People say to homeschoolers all the time, uh-huh. how are your kids going to get socialized? Okay. The correct answer isn't that school doesn't help with socialization. Oh, okay. The correct answer is, I don't want my kids to be socialized to look like your kids. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got so it. Okay. The homeschooler shouldn't respond by saying, well, there's no social benefits to getting in a school environment or yeah. other people. There are huge benefits if they're virtuous people. Mm-hmm. The answer of the Christian school is to say, no, this, this does help with socialization but it's in the image of godly peers and godly teachers. I would say all of this is true about a school only if the parent is willing to make it that way, which I think it's a huge mark. I don't think we've talked about, I mean, you did at the beginning a little bit, but because you can fail in a school and you can fail at homeschool if you're not doing your duties as a parent. Yes. So that is something that is very specific about ACCS schools. I don't know about other classical like associations, places, yeah. associations, but is like the, the parent is heavily involved. Yeah. Heavily involved. Honestly, in some, probably more than school than when I was homeschooling in some ways. And maybe that shows what kind of a homeschooler it was. But so you can't just go to any school and get this is what I'm saying. You have to no. take it as an actual duty upon your shoulders that I need to be involved. I need to be there. I need to be, I need to be the school bus. Yeah. I remember Chocolate Knox in 2020, he was reading some news article about all these parents flipping out about they didn't have enough school bus drivers, I think, through COVID, and they had to take their kids to school. And he was like, <laughs> huh, imagine that. You have to actually parent your kids. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> amazing. I think some people picture Christian schools as the Christian equivalent of that. No. I'm just sure taking there, away there are all, some out there, but not ours. So that I can just turnkey, like send my kids out. They leave at a certain time. Someone picks them up, takes care of them. They come back. I don't care what happens in the middle because I'm not having to do it. That's not what godly Christian education should look like. It's parents coming together in the household of households of the church in this Christian community mm-hmm. and uh, taking advantage of specialization mm-hmm. so that they can provide for their children a richness, yeah, a cultural, social, educational richness mm-hmm. that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to achieve in yeah. any... You would have had facets of it in lots of different homes, and there still would have been lots of glory. Yeah. Um, so... I see that as a huge benefit. I, I've found that school, sc- schooling cultures tend to be more masculine as well. 
than homeschooling cultures, and that homeschooling cultures can tend to have some, uh, or at least this is a temptation, like this isn't a prophecy that this is going to be true of you if you're homeschooling. It's a temptation to look out for, that because in homeschooling circles, it is so heavily female-directed, and this is just true. I mean, like, public school is the same way. 74% mm-hmm. of public school teachers are female. They tend to fall into those sins that are common to feminized cultures. Mm-hmm. So they will discourage and squash boys and male initiative and male aggression and lots mm-hmm. of, you know, things that need to be channeled in a good way. But other other issues can arise too. I've seen... They will emphasize certain subjects over others. Yes. They are not good at admitting there's absolute truth in my experience. Yes, I've even seen... And, and these are just like actual conversations I've had with people. I'm not just yeah. making this up. Even in, you know, like you take a lar- large homeschooling movements like Charlotte Mason, which is very much... I thought we were... Homeschooling oriented. And you see in Charlotte Mason circles that... If you go and look at all the major Charlotte Mason organizations, Ambleside Online, and there's other ones as well, the vast majority of the leadership are, are ladies. Mm-hmm. There are very few men involved in, all, in, in the whole process. And so in ways that are probably not, not even apparent to the people involved in them, those are shaped in very feminine directions. Whereas in, especially in the classical Christian schooling world, most of the schools that I'm aware of are not started except for enterprising entrepreneurial men. You have tons of women involved as well, but many of these communities you'll find in those schools, a headmaster, a a set of pastors, a board that very much has a male influence. And because I believe that men were designed to lead institutions on this level uh, to fruitfulness, to maximal fruitfulness, I think you do miss something when you take especially if in homeschooling environments, the fathers are being really passive mm-hmm. and just letting the wives pick whatever curriculum running completely you know with the kids no better supervision. Than me, honey. Yeah. Like, well, you know, this stuff. Problem. <laughs> I never read an education book. Well, yeah. if you're a father homeschooling, you should be reading the pedagogy books and you should yeah. be coming to convictions about this thing yeah. and overseeing the curriculum. And in my experience, in many cases in homeschooling environments, the fathers have absolutely no clue what's happening yes. in their children's education. Yeah. That was a lot, but yeah, I was going to actually say a lot of the men I know involved in Charlotte Mason are the woke ones, actually. Yeah. And the reason why I can think of one specifically, a lecture that I listened to really early on, it wasn't a lecture, it was a retreat, Charlotte Mason retreat. It was mm-hmm. a homeschool father that was basically saying, I let my wife homeschool the kids, not because it was a personal conviction or scriptural p- conviction, but because she needed to actualize her fullest potential. Yeah. And that was going to happen through homeschooling. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the pitfalls of feminized culture is weaponized empathy. Yeah, that's what this was. So, so yeah. that leaves it extraordinarily vulnerable to the woke mind virus because wokeness is built all upon weaponized empathy. It's like, hey, slavery, hey, past uh, tragedies or past sins. And so now through a, a series of completely disjunct, you know, disjointed, nonsensical arguments, now you should have this generational and societal guilt that we're going to answer through, oh, it just so happens to be Marxism or, you know, some ridiculous socialist bureaucratic engine or mechanism. We're now going to fix the problem. And, and so what you tend to see is that this, I mean, the 19th Amendment, when women got the right to vote, the the cultural side effects or downstream effects have been absolutely terrible for culture. And many of these voting decisions come down to weaponized empathy, manipulated often ironically by men, pol- uh, 
politic- male politicians, mm-hmm. weaponizing feminine empathy to enact totalitarian bureaucratic nightmare policy and take over everything. So you have to be aware of this in institutions that are governed almost exclusively by women and many homeschooling ones. Go look at the board, go see, are there men involved? If there, if there are men involved, are they godly men? Are they pastors? Are they, you know, who's, who's setting a, a masculine watch over this organization? And what you'll find, guys, is that often these organizations drift because they are ruled over by women with, with absolutely weaponized empathy. So, so obviously you don't have to fall into that ditch if you're homeschooling. I'm not. No, I know tons of people that are the exact opposite. And there are schools that are equally terrible and have the same exact problems. Um, So this is something for a school to keep a watch over as well. It's Mm -hmm. like have some strong men on the walls, keeping a watch and making sure that this, you're not falling down this ditch. Um, So, so that's another reason. I think another one that comes to mind for me with the schooling thing and, and, and why go into the schooling versus just establishing different homeschooling co-ops in our community also does circle all the way back to that institutional power mm-hmm. thing that the progressives recognized and weaponized. Mm-hmm. Man, if Christians would just understand the power mm-hmm. of institutions are things that you intend to be permanent. You, you, mm-hmm. you start them with an intention of permanence. Okay, if Christians understood how powerful it can be in a community to start, let's say a few institutions— a really good church, a really good school, a really good college. Yeah. Guess what you can do? You can take over a city in yeah, a couple generations. That's what I was going to say is I think part of the problem, a lot of the people, I don't, we don't really have a lot of defensive homeschoolers at refuge. I don't like, we don't have issues with that. There's not like weird, you're the church, you're the school people, you're the homeschoolers. We don't no, have we, that. We really try hard not to let any kind of. Yeah. But the, uh, outside of that, I have talked to people that are really defensive about the whole homeschool thing. And by and large, the biggest thing is that they've never seen a school done well. Yeah. They just haven't. So, but I think it's cool that we are in a time and place where there do seem to be not a place. We're in a time where there just seem to be a lot more schools popping up. Yeah. So that people can get an experience for it being done well. Yeah. As they say at NSA, not all rigor is mortis. And one of the hallmarks of masculine leadership is off is rigor. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Mom's. yeah. And moms are, this is a design feature. Moms are supposed to be soft in the right ways where they're like nurturing and comforting and helping. And you need dad to come in and be like, yeah, son, but knock out 20 more pushups. I know you have it in you when you've done 30 already. And he's like, oh, I'm so tired. And dad's going to come in and be like, give me 20 more. And and sometimes mom is going to be like, oh, you did such a good job. I think, I think and they, you need both. Specific types of homeschoolers though. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There yeah. are some that are the opposite. All of these are generalisms that some people fall into and some and others don't. So you have yeah. very rigorous homeschool curriculums and things like that. I definitely think that one of the results of our school will be an increase in general rigor of education across the average. Yeah. yeah. I think it will raise the average rigor. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen certain homeschool families in the church that didn't used to do dead languages. Now they do do it because they they can talk to people who are teaching it locally. Yeah, you know, learning. there's it's yeah, exactly. It's learning. just a shared reason. And we try to do that across the school. Yeah. Is like yes. when we do pro gymnasmata and declamation, like let's let's bring in and invite because we want it to be a unified thing where we agree yeah. on the principle and we might the have different events are open um, to the 
But this is a thing you can see in sometimes I think parents can be a little bit intimidated about maybe putting especially daughters or something in the school. They're like, well, it's going to be rigorous. There's going to be, it's going to be hard. They're maybe introverted and there might be some kid personalities that are like more diff, more challenging from the school environment. And, and I think it's good to read the child. And some of them are going to be like, you would do better homeschool. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Some, some parents are going to say our daughters are going to stay home until a certain age and then come. That can be great. Mm-hmm. But I do challenge parents to, to think, think about before you dismiss it and say, well, this is going to be really hard for them. They're going to be tired. This is going to be tough. Think like, okay, it will. I'm not going to sugarcoat like that. There's everything's rainbow. It, it is hard work in the school mm-hmm. for kids, but think about the virtue. Think about the calluses. Think about the strength that they will get from that, mm-hmm. that they won't get without it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget the benefit. Just looking at some of the downsides. It's like, Oh, if you run, if you train and run a marathon, yeah, you're going to like be in pain a lot of the time. I was going to say, it reminds me of this thing I saw recently about, it was talking about working out, but I think it's the same with the school is you really do have to choose what your hard. Yeah, that's like, good. You can choose your heart of getting up and working out, or you can choose your heart of having to be diseased for decades of your life, or yeah. choose heart. And and I get, I do understand some people would rather choose the heart of picking and organizing and teaching the curriculum at home because they don't want the heart of packing the lunch and getting the kids out the door. I do understand that. Totally. Yep. Yep. So So there's also just to sum it up, lest you think we've gone too hard in any direction here. Like we're so pro homeschool. I'm so ecstatic. <laughs> that homeschooling is growing like wildfire. Yeah. And and I'm ecstatic because I also know that schools are going to grow right along with it. Yeah. And that lots of communities are going to start schools. Don't don't schism in your place if you have a school and homeschools. <clears throat> don't fight each other. Don't spend yeah. your energy like yeah, that's silly. warring. Be friends, learn from each other, and try to invite one another into each other's thing yeah. um, so that you can grow together. And even if you hear a critique that you're not convinced by, Rather than be like, uh, the okay, homeschooling is overly feminine type of thing. And mm-hmm. maybe you're not convinced by that critique. And you think like, we've, we've addressed that. Don't get offended at the critique. Just understand, have a category in your mind for my brother or my sister is convinced by that argument. And they're doing what they believe is best for their child. Yeah. And I'm convinced in my mind. And we can have unity across this disagreement. Yeah. Because we're, we're one in Christ and we're all aiming for the same thing at the end of the day. Christian education, obedience to Christ glory there. Yeah. Maintain that unity. Don't let schism get in, in your heart. And, and I don't think that we should be spending a a large part of our energy arguing with one another about be convinced and then push forward. Any last thoughts, babe? I mean, it seems like you have a lot of your, you've been yawning for the last 30 straight seconds and I was wondering if you have any closing ideas. Her eyes eyes are literally closing. Well, I don't know where my glasses are. So, I mean, you don't know this, but when you can't see already without glasses and it's nighttime, your eyes just kind of go, what's the point? (laughs) I'm thinking about going for a walk. I'm going to read my book. Uh, All right, guys. Well, thanks for the questions. Keep sending them in. And we will see you next episode here on Bright Hearth.